There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Welcome in and thank you for joining us. My name is Derek Saul. I'm Sports Editor of the Chronicle and your host. And this is Season 3, Episode 2 of the Cameron Chronicles. I am joined here today by my co-host, Shane Smith, also our Blue Zone Editor. Thanks for joining us, Shane. And our very special guest today, former Sports Editor and current men's basketball beat, Michael Modell. Thanks for joining us, guys. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Duke's recent... Duke's recent wins against Colorado State and Central Arkansas, and, you know, neither of them were particularly eventful, but we got to learn a lot about Duke's roster. So let's go back chronologically. Colorado State, Duke beats 89-55, debuts new starting lineup. Michael, you were there covering. What were your biggest takeaways from that? I think the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, Coach K said in the beginning of the season that this was going to be a balanced team. There weren't going to be any set roles, and we've really seen it. I think Coach K's used three different starting lineups the last three games, and I think all five Duke starters scored in double figures. Um, really a balanced scoring effort. You don't know who's going to, you know, control the ball, who's going to score, who's going to deliver the offense, but I think it's been really interesting to see the Blue Devils and this team has been meshing even with a bunch of freshmen and a lot of different players in different roles. It's all been going so far so well. And one of those new starters in that Colorado State game, and he's stayed in the starting lineup, Alex O'Connell. Um, I know you, you, wrote your, you wrote your story mainly on him. What have you seen out of him so far? Yeah, so Alex you know, has become a spark. I think as a shooter, you really need to have consistent minutes. And it was actually interesting today um, during the press conference before the game tomorrow, Friday night's game, um, Alex was talking about the fact that you know he really improved his defense a lot. That was a focus for him. And in order for him to get into the lineup with this team and to get those extra minutes, he really needed to become a guy who can handle his own defensively. And I think since he's been able to do that, he's been able to carve out a lot more of a role for himself. And we've seen you know him pay dividends on the offensive side, but also he's been very solid defensively as well. Shane, do you think he actually has improved his defense? Well, you know, in that first game, obviously got hit with a couple backdoor cuts, but. I, you know, with guys like Trey Jones, I, I think he could even play the three next to a guy, uh, next to a backcourt of Goldwire and Jones, if need be. But as long as you have Trey Jones and, you know, those other two freshman wings are in there, you know, contributing on defense, I don't even think he necessarily has to be that great of a defender. Just come in. He did a great job uh, taking it to the hole against Central Arkansas in the third game. And uh, I think that, coupled with his, you know, great scoring ability from outside, and I don't necessarily think he needs to be a great defender. Yeah, and as as you mentioned, I mean, he really pairs well with all of Duke's other wings, especially defense-first guys like Jordan Goldwire and Wendell Moore. I mean, Goldwire especially is someone that pretty much is never going to shoot. Um, and I guess that, that, that pairs well with O'Connell, and O'Connell's not afraid to shoot even when he is going cold. And he actually, he hasn't been that effective from outside so far this season, which has been surprising because... I believe the last two seasons, his freshman sophomore years, he ended as Duke's highest, Duke's highest finisher in three point percentage, and we saw in the Central Arkansas game as well, which came uh, Tuesday night, Duke won a one hundred five to fifty four, and honestly, it was really a very similar game. Uh, the biggest takeaway from that game was Trey Jones getting hurt left in the first half, and he will be okay. And we saw Matthew Hurt, freshman forward, known for his offense, 
slide into a bench role, but then have his best game of the season. Um, and also a little shout out to one of our writers, Glenn Morgenstern, who had probably the best best headline that we'll see this season, where it was Trey gets hurt and Hurt gets Trey's and Duke's blowout win. Um, and I guess, what do you guys see out of that game? I mean, for me, I think the biggest takeaway was the big men. We saw Vernon Carey with his first career double-double. Um, he didn't play the post in high school at all, but you really can't notice that by looking at this team. I believe he had 17 points, um, 10 rebounds. And then, of course, the other player, Javin Deloria, we were seeing him create for himself offensively, able to get to the basket. He got to the line. I think he finished with nine points in that game. Um, and, you know, Javin really has been pretty much a non-factor offensively during his first three years. Last year, the end of the season, um, we saw him, you know, take advantage of some offensive rebounds, some close looks. But it was really interesting to see him trying to create for himself offensively. Yeah, and I think for me, another under-the-radar guy that kind of snuck in was Wendell Moore. Uh, only shot four for 12 from the field. But, you know, I saw he didn't play much in the Kansas game, but he really showed an aggressiveness, uh, taking it to the basket. Looked like he was trying to draw contact a lot, and you know, he's gonna have some finishing troubles, but I just love to see that aggressiveness and you know, not letting himself slip down the rotation. Yeah, Shane, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that you had Wendell Moore as your positive takeaway, I guess, after his first two games. I mean, he, especially against Kansas, we talked about this. I mean, Wendell Moore looked like Duke's worst player. Um, well, I guess the worst player that was playing. There are definitely guys that, that are on the bench that he's much better than, but we did. We did see him really step up also defensively, but I think it's really hard to evaluate more positively compared to the most similar guy to him on the team and Cassius Stanley, who Cassius Stanley is scoring at Zion level efficiency and he couldn't be any better. He wasn't, he was Duke's fifth highest recruit in that cloud or fourth highest recruit um, in his class. He was a four star on ESPN but we've seen him, he's actually top 25 in the country in effective field goal percentage. I believe he's shooting over, yeah, he's shooting 85% uh, on two pointers, one of two from outside. I mean, he basically doesn't miss and that's really been weird to see because coming in, I, I at least thought he was gonna be a chucker and he, he has that, he has, you know, that the Hollywood, the Hollywood attitude of you kind of expect him to be a score first guy, but I mean, do you think it, that he can keep up this this level of efficiency? Well, to be honest, right now at this point in the season, if a game's down to the wire and we, you know, Duke has a shot to win the game, I'm not going to Trey Jones. I'm not going to Vernon Carey. I'm giving the ball to Cassius Stanley. And, you know, he went 8 for 11 against Colorado State, 5 for 5 against Central Arkansas. Obviously, if you give him more shots, the efficiency is going to dip a little bit, but I don't see a reason why Cassius shouldn't be, you know, Duke's leading shot taker on a nightly basis. Yeah, I think that Cassius might have trouble come ACC play when you're facing a lot more physical guards just because I feel like the nature of his game is about trying to drive and get to the basket. And I think that naturally his field goal percentage will decline. But I also think that, you know, on this team, there are a lot of guys who can score a lot of high volume guys with hurt. Um, Vernon Carey, obviously, Coach K wants Trey Jones to be another high-volume guy. That like Cassius Stanley is just able to, you know, wait for his moment and take those opportunities and doesn't feel the need to hoist up shots like we've seen a little bit from Moore and R.J. Barrett last year. Yeah, and a couple of the... I'm going through KenPalm.com for, uh, for some of Duke's stats and some way-too-early observations. Uh, Wendell Moore has Duke's worst offensive rating by far. He's a 76.5 offensive rating. Among guys that play, it's really 
Jack White is the next worst at 103.3, so we the numbers back up that Wendell Moore has been an absolute zero and honestly has been a negative offensively thus far. And Shane, as you said, I mean, we have seen signs of improvement, but in my opinion, I think he's going to fall out of the rotation, honestly. I think that right now Duke is at the 10-man rotation if you're, if you're including Joey Baker. I think that's going to shrink to seven or eight um, as the season goes on. I don't I don't think that as Duke gets into ACC play that they're still going to be playing all those guys again. Joey Baker's probably the first one gone there. We we haven't really seen much out of him so far, except for he looked great in the exhibition against Fort Valley State. And then looking at the, the overall numbers, uh, Duke is number four in the adjusted efficiency, top five in offense and defense. Uh, actually, number 19 in tempo, which is really interesting. And I guess that's a product of the second and third games. I mean, the, the Duke versus Kansas game was pretty slow and uh i think as I, as i alluded to they're they're number four the ranked number four in terms of overall efficiency but duke will be the number one team in the country barring any sort of crazy upsets come next week with the ap poll uh, after duke's currently number two and number one kentucky lost in pretty embarrassing home home contest against evansville and i guess duke's gonna be number one do you think this is the best team in the country though um, I don't at this point. You know, I think that Duke has had a lot of things go well for it so far. Firstly, I don't think that Kansas is a you know top five team. I don't think that they're going to be very strong. And I, I do think it'll be interesting to see how Duke plays in the coming weeks. A couple interesting tests shouldn't be too challenging, but they will be real competition when they're facing um, Cal and the winner of Georgetown and Texas at the Garden next week. Um, also Michigan State in the coming weeks. Um, but, Derek, I also disagree with you. I don't think that Coach K's rotation will shrink much. I think that this team has been playing really strong defense, and I think that having everyone going out there empowers everyone to be able to you know, go out and give a full, you know, however many minutes of defense that they need. And I also think that, on the flip side, Wendell Moore, even though he did struggle in his last game, we did see increased um, efficiency from him um, and an increased you know, passion trying to drive to the hole. But Coach K also said again after Colorado State that he was very impressed with Wendell Moore. Most of the questions weren't related to him. Coach K made the point to emphasize Wendell's performance. You know, so I'm going to have to agree with you, Michael. I think, you know, you look at Duke's roster top to bottom, and obviously there are a lot of great guards in the ACC, you know, when you think of Cole Anthony. And uh, I just think that when you get to a point in the season where Duke's going to have to go up against teams and guard high-profile wing players and small forwards, you know, who's Duke going to turn to if you don't go and put Wendell Moore in the lineup there? Maybe Jack White. He showed some, you know, promising on-ball abilities last year early, but, you know, I think by far Wendell Moore is a better defender than Cassius Stanley, more disciplined, maybe not the same athleticism, but, you know, also bigger and I think I don't see how you can push more out of the rotation when you're going to need him to go up against you know physical forwards you can also you know score the ball from all three levels yeah and I guess to to go against my point with Wendell Moore Duke's identity is clearly defensive um, and haven't really seen that the last two games because Duke is just so much more talented against Colorado State and Central Arkansas. So obviously, they've, they've played really good defense, and that's that's been the impetus, but they've also been able to succeed in a half-court offense, which they won't they won't be succeeding in half-court offenses against, against much better defenses, and that's something that Coach K would say, especially early on. I mean, that was a struggle last season, too, and Duke's offensive talent last year was 
infinitely better than this year. I mean, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, there's no one no one close. There's, there's no one really on this team that you can give the ball to and say, hey, you're getting a bucket. I guess there are some guys that are on the cusp of that with Matthew Hurd and Vernon Carey, but do you agree with the notion that Duke's, a, Duke's identity is defense first? Well, obviously, I think that I think that you know deep in the ACC season, you're gonna see you're gonna see Duke and Mysiszewski go a lot towards that gold wire Trey Jones lineup. I think the full court press is the best thing that Duke has going for them, and you know that's just gonna cause a lot of havoc. Obviously, the opponent Central Arkansas, one of the worst teams that Duke will play this year, but they just absolutely struggled with that full court press. Same thing that happened happened against Louisville last year in that big comeback. And I think that, not necessarily late in games, I don't think you can keep Cassius Stanley out of the backcourt, but you're going to see a lot of Trey Jones and, and uh, Jordan Goldwire in the same backcourt wreaking that havoc. And obviously they're just always going to go back to defense because you know, that's what's going to get it done when you're forcing more turnovers than the amount of field goals you're giving up to the opposition uh, so far through three games. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think, you know, looking at the Kansas game, even though there were it was a very slow pace, I think that Duke is going to play a pretty slow pace this year. Again, we're talking about playing a half-court offense, very defensive-minded team. Um, I think that, you know, the Blue Devils will definitely slow down offensively. They're not going to be scoring, you know, 88, 90 points a game this year. I think it's going to be more closer to 70, um, 75 points, and Duke's really going to need to clamp down on defense. Um, if you look at the team's leaders, obviously Trey Jones, Jack White, Javin are kind of the defensive specialists for this team, and I definitely think that's been a point of emphasis for sure. And Shane, you mentioned it before that your answer can be your answer would be Cassius to this question. You can you can change that, but let's say Duke's down two, needs a needs a bucket, has the ball with ten seconds left. Who are you turning to? Well, in the Kansas game, we uh, we saw that they went to Trey Jones, and. Uh, you know, three bounces, it went in. But I'm sticking with my answer. I'm going for Cassius Stanley. Doesn't have that uh, jumper from outside down yet, but I think with his athleticism, he's shown a nice handle. I'm giving it to him if I if uh, if Duke needs a bucket down low. I don't know. To me, the whole story of this team and Trey coming back is that it's Trey Jones' team, and I think for Duke to be able to make a run, they need Trey Jones to be that guy who can take that shot down the stretch. And if Trey Jones can't be that guy, then I don't think Duke is going to you know, be playing deep into March this year. Yeah, my, my answer, which is probably not a great answer, is I think Vernon Carey is actually really going to emerge as that guy. Um, we haven't really seen him succeed that much in the post. He's still really young and new to that, but... I think he's actually going to end the season as Duke's best player. I think you're going to be really surprised, and he's going. He's he's really quiet off the court too. Um, kind of, he's he's really shy. Um, that we get to we talk to him more. But I, I've noticed in the little inside baseball, his quotes have been a lot better. So maybe he's maybe maybe uh, in the locker room too. He's getting he's he's getting less shy. But he's he's really the X factor this season, and I think he's going to end as like. If I had to pick right now, I think he's an all-ACC player. I think he's going to probably average around 15-7. and seven. I think he's really good. He's he's looked a lot better than I expected also on the defensive end. He's been amazing defensively, which people weren't necessarily expecting. I mean, he didn't profile necessarily as a great athlete coming, I should say, really with the quickness. Um, but we haven't really seen him get burned at all and against Kansas and Duke's huge test against Suto Kazabuki. He 
played really well, and I like the 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 Javin Delorier and Vernon Carey Jr. relationship is really cool to see. Of Javin's the the mentor, um, and when you talk to Javin after the games, always calls him Tank, which is a kind of <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, and I guess the, the bad thing about the mentorship is both of them. Uh, are pro- probably foul more than any other player that we've seen the last few years at Duke. Um, <laughs> but we're going to see, I think, Vernon Carey really, really grow as the season progresses. Um, and don't discredit Matthew Hurt either. I think that you know maybe not, maybe not the play you run if you're down by two and you need a bucket, but one of my favorite offensive sets to watch so far this year has been, you know, a little screen and roll. You get Matthew Hurt switched onto a guard, and you just let him loose at the elbow, and he can... Back him down if people come and help over. He can, you know, fade away for a nice little jumper and take it right to the rack, I think. You know, he's definitely going to be very efficient coming off the bench against Central Arkansas for 7-11 and 19 points leading the team. Been very impressed with her as well. And Derek, back to your point about Vernon Carey, I think that's why it's so important that Coach K does play this deep rotation. I think that'll really benefit him. We saw the last couple of years, guys like Marquise Bolden, Chase Jeter were never able to find their footing, always stuck in foul trouble. When you're playing less minutes, you know, you can afford to pick up those extra fouls. And also for a big guy who's going to need to run up and down the court, I think that that'll help him with his energy as well. And he'll, you know, still be at 100% come crunch time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Of he's he's not someone that succeeds at playing thirty three or th- thirty three to thirty five minutes a game, as we've seen a lot of Duke's best players. I mean, we've seen Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, other Zion Williamson of Duke's Duke's bigs recently have been at those huge minute minute per game numbers. And I think Vernon Carey's probably going to be more around twenty five minutes a game, which, as you said, is really a good thing for him. And he also probably can't be playing 33 minutes because he'll literally foul out of games. Um, he, he did he fouled out against Colorado State, right? Am I making that up? I think he did foul out, but he's he has struggled yeah. with... Yeah, okay. I think he fouled out in 17 yeah. minutes, if I remember correctly. 15. 15. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's going to be a problem. That's a problem for every young big, but it's... Even though, obviously, fouling a lot has been a problem and it hasn't hurt his effectiveness, if that makes sense. I mean, he's he's going to be great in short bursts. Um, and speaking of Duke's great freshmen, we are, we are in the, the period again. We're looking towards next year already. And yesterday was signing day for Duke. Um, I don't know if Shane, if you've pulled up, if you want to go through the guys that, that are currently committed for Duke's class 2020. Yeah. So I think the class, you know, starts with Jalen Johnson. He's going to be Duke's go-to guy next year. Uh, five-star forward, and uh, he was one of the second player to commit in that class after, of course, our point guard. And, uh, you know, Duke's point guard next year, assuming that Trey Jones leaves, will be Jeremy Roach. Uh, Probably a little bit better shooter, touch outside, but um, I think that he'll work well with Jalen Johnson. And then it's kind of this other other cast. You got a lot of forwards in there with uh, Jamin Brakefield, who has not signed yet, People are saying that he'll sign in the next coming days. Henry Coleman, a four-star forward. And then the big man that Duke just recently picked up, Mark Williams, whose sister uh, has her number retired in Cameron Indoor Stadium uh, for her role on the women's team. And then rounding out with DJ Stewart, who I think has probably the most potential uh, to grow out of this class. Really athletic guard, can shoot it from outside. But, you know, there's, it's a big class. And, it's, again, it's not going to be like that Zion, Cam, RJ class 
where you know everyone's can be able to go out there and score 20 on a given night. I think that's really going to be limited to Jalen Johnson's role. But there's some nice pieces, and if Duke can return some players next year, it's going to be another great roster. Yeah, and the the I guess the the fun game to play is obviously with six guys coming in, you're going to to need guys to leave. And Justin Robinson, Javon Delore, and Jack White are all their eligibility is up. Assuming that Mike Buckmeyer, who former walk on currently has a scholarship, he's going he will likely lose his scholarship and then the the numbers do work out of odds are two two guys between Trey Jones and the the four star freshmen are going to leave. And honestly I think probably I would expect four or five to leave. Um, if Cassius Stanley keeps it up, I think I think he's going to leave. Um, but I think I think Trey Jones a lock to leave. At the same with Carey and Hurt, and probably one of Moore and Stanley stays. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I I have a hunch that you know two of the four freshmen are going to stay. I'm not sure who yet. Um, probably, I think I'd be pretty surprised if more left at this point. Yeah. And I'm guessing either Hurt or Stanley will stay. I'm leaning towards Stanley. To me, the interesting thing about this class is, you know, going from a class of Zion, Cam, and RJ to this year's class, I think a lot of the mindset, at least around campus, was that, okay, Duke is resetting. They're going back, you know, to a little bit more old school, a little bit more player development rather than just cranking out these one and none guys. And it's really interesting how you go from sending that message to a bunch of those guys, guys like Stanley, to then bring in another you know, elite class here. It'll be really interesting to see what role a guy like Stanley or Moore has next year, or guys like O'Connell and Goldwire. Are they just going to be suddenly be pushed down to the bottom of the lineup? Because a lot of these guys, a lot of these five-star recruits are coming to Duke with the expectation you know, they're going to play major roles in major minutes. And I think that's also why it's important for Coach K to show this year that he can play a lot of those guys to give some of those guys more confidence that you know they'll be able to come in and have a role and make a statement, even if they don't you know start every game. Well, when I'm looking at Duke's roster for next year, the thing that I'm most concerned about is going to be their lack of size. Obviously, Deloria is gone. Better chance than not that Carey's gone unless he you know collapsed towards the end of the season. And you know you're looking at the roster and you don't see much size. Mark Williams, as I mentioned. Seven foot center, but only a four star, not not someone like a Bagley, Carter, Okafor that you just plug in and he's your go to guy from day one. And then these forwards in Brakefield and Coleman, you know, they're undersized for the position. Six eight, six seven. If you know, if Matthew Hurt does decide to go to the league, you're really putting a lot of faith in Brakefield, Williams, and Coleman to step in from day one and, you know, be reliable inside presences. With Mark Williams, he's a guy that I just don't think has a college basketball ready body. Too, he's seven foot tall, but he's he's listed at two thirty. He just he doesn't seem like he's physically there. And I'm not saying that he won't be a factor on next year's roster, but to be like, oh, he's Duke center and he's going to be playing thirty minutes a game next year, like I don't, I don't think that's a that's really much of a much of a possibility. So. I don't know. I, I don't know where the big man minutes are coming from. Yeah, and one thing I think is interesting, which has been a theme you know, throughout the previous couple of months, is that NBA um, scouts, people writing about the NBA draft, don't seem to be very high on Carey at all. Um, the Athletic in their latest mock draft had Bernie Carey at number 47. And so it's possible that you know, Coach K and the Blue Devils expect him to stay around for another year. But you know, when he was coming in, he was clearly the centerpiece of this class. So it's really interesting 
um, to see that shift and sort of, I'm personally trying to understand why people are so low on carry at this point. I don't really understand it. I think it's really early too. I'm curious. Uh, I don't think the Athletics released another mock draft. I think it was like they released it on the the day of the Duke Kansas game. I don't know if they've updated it. Yeah, I don't think they have. But anyways, we saw Duke's highest prospect there, and I think their only lottery pick was Wendell Moore. Um, I think the next mock draft, those positions will be changed. Yeah. I don't. When if Wendell Moore, if the NBA draft was today, there's no way Wendell Moore is a first round pick. Um, he. Again, he has the, the NBA body. He's in, incredible. He's a really good athlete. He looks great defensively, but he looks really, really bad offensively. Um, and I, I'd be shocked if Vernon Carey wasn't a first-round pick. I mean, he was a top-10 recruit. He's got the size, and, I mean, I guess he probably, being a big man at Duke and having that Jaleel Okafor legacy, maybe he's getting maybe he's getting some some bad press with that, but... I, I personally think Vernon Carey's gone will be end up being a lottery pick. And it is worth mentioning that Myshyshevsky does have one more target out there, Hunter Dickinson, who's a seven foot two center. Uh, you know, there, it is a crowded recruiting class. I don't really see Duke bringing in a seven man class, but you know, if Shashevsky's not feeling comfortable with Mark Williams' role for next year, it could be a thing where he just brings both of them in and sees which one works better just to plug them in. Yeah, and. Before, before we move on from recruiting, um, Jamin Brakefield, who is a forward that's committed for Duke right now, there has been some speculation about him potentially decommitting. It doesn't seem like that will be the case, um, but he did not sign yesterday when most of, the other, most of the other recruits did sign, and he's set to sign on Friday. Um, but he... and. This is, I guess, this is a very 21st century reporting, but he tweeted something that had the blue heart, the devil emoji, and a lock symbol yesterday, and he was like, don't believe, like, don't believe everything you see. So I, I, don't expect, I don't expect there to be a problem, but you said with Hunter Dickinson last year, the last two, the last two recruiting classes, we've seen some late shakeups. Jordan Tucker, who was committed here, was expected to, you know, be a huge part of that team, and um, be a great shooter, and he did not work out. He transferred after six weeks. He he was played in one or two games, I think. He definitely played in a couple games. Yeah, but he, I think he transferred in November of his freshman yes. year. That was two years ago. And for this year's class, Boogie Ellis, who's now a starting point guard at Memphis, he was committed to Duke through like April. It was really late, and then ended up decommitting once Trey Jones decided he was going to stay. So... As you said, if, if Hunter Dickinson commits, don't be surprised if someone else decides to either transfer early on if they see that they're not going to get any playing time their freshman year or decommits late in the, in the spring. And again, if you're a Duke fan, I don't necessarily think that that's a concerning thing. I think like that would happen, right? If you're going to have a, if you, the team knows that they're going to have a guy like you know Stanley or more back that's going to be more impactful as a sophomore than a bunch of these freshmen anyway. I don't think that's all a negative for the team if someone does end up decommitting. And we can't forget, uh, going up to the 2021 class, Duke just recently secured their first commit with five-star A.J. Griffin. And, you know, he's listed as the number 10 prospect right now, but I think he's one of those guys that can move up as he, you know, plays through his uh, his junior and senior seasons. And I feel like he could pair well to Duke's top prospect in that class, which is Patrick Baldwin Jr. 
Well, the, the weird thing with A.J. Griffin is that's the first commit to Duke that I will officially not be here for. I'm a junior now, and he's, he's going to graduate high school at the same time I graduate from Duke. And I guess, Michael, you're, you're a senior, and it's weird, I guess, recruiting, recruiting means very little to you now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, especially these guys who are committing who are two years after me. I mean, that's sh- yeah. shocking. <laughs> um, I felt it a little bit last year. Like, when I first saw RJ and Zion in Canada last year, just realizing that they were two years younger than me was kind of stunning. Um, But yeah, you know, life goes on. Yeah, and I guess that's a good point for us to to wrap up. I guess the life life goes on. There you go. (laughs) 